0: Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately he made the decision to get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were terrified saying it is a ghost and they cried out in fear but immediately jesus spoke to them and said take heart it is i do not be afraid peter answered him lord if it is you command me to come to you on the water he said come so peter got out of the boat started walking on the water and came toward jesus but when he noticed the strong wind he became frightened and beginning to sink he cried out Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Please take out your Bibles. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Somebody got a page number on that? What? Page 15 of the New Testament? Thank you. In the New Testament. We're good. Anybody need a Bible? All right. We're going to walk through verse by verse. I'm going to give you a little taste of my schooling that I was at at Duke. Uh, But as we examine this Texas afternoon, I would encourage you to always be asking yourself, who is Jesus? Where is Jesus? What is Jesus doing and why? That is the essential question of the Gospels. Who is Jesus? That is what they are there for. So let's dig in. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Immediately. Whatever God has planned is on a timetable. Something is happening that requires Jesus to stress the urgency of the situation. And as this event is chronicled in other Gospels, we can look there, too, for answers as to why this might be. The Gospel of John says uh, at the same event that Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. In other words, the miracle of multiplying the loaves and the fishes that we heard about last Sunday has put the crowd into such a frenzy that Jesus needs to execute some kind of escape plan. As long as Jesus was present with his apostles, the crowd knew that something miraculous was possible. So by putting the disciples on the boat, Jesus was saying to the people, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The show is over. There is no encore. And no, we are not serving dessert. Go home. Note two, he made the disciples get in the boat. There is no mention of an additional boat to bring Jesus to them. Where were they supposed to go? What was this about? It is doubtful that they wanted to leave Jesus alone with the full force of 5,000 people milling about. But who is Jesus? What is Jesus doing and why? Verse 23. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Perhaps with some parting words of caution, counsel, and comfort, which might hold them over until their next meal, Jesus was able to abate the crowd and withdrew to the top of the mountain to chat with his Father. Remember, the servants of Christ have been set adrift out into the sea, and Jesus goes off alone to pray. Now, it is never really made clear how these mountaintop conversations go, but it is safe to assume that God does not screen calls from God's only Son. So the Son and the Father had a chat. The end of verse 23 and 24. When evening came, he was there alone alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. When evening came, if you have your Bibles, glance back up to verse 15. You'll see it was already evening when they were feeding the people. So we've gone from dinner evening to evening evening. All right. It's like when the news is over and the late night hosts are coming on to deliver their, their monologues evening. So it's evening, evening. Jesus is still alone, but as we know, not really alone because it's Jesus. Um, and we, the omniscient readers of this text, we are redirected to the scene now playing out back with the disciples in the boat That was cast out on the water. Time has elapsed. Jesus has been praying. The disciples have been doing only God knows what for these past six hours or so. But here they are, and a storm is now raging. Battered by the waves and far from land. Perhaps their initial plan was to hang out close to the shore to keep an eye out for Jesus. But oh no, they are far from the land, and the wind is against them. But remember, there are sailors on that boat. Surely they'll make it. They were fishermen, right? Most of them. And they were experienced hands at the mast of a sailing vessel. They're sailing on the Sea of Galilee. These are familiar waters. This is their home turf. This was their town. Their streets. They followed their fathers into the water from the moment they could walk. This should not have been an issue, but this is recounted to us in this way to specifically demonstrate the extreme situation that the disciples were in. Observe. Things were confusing at the beginning, but got worse. We too may set out in fair weather and calm waters but we will meet many storms before we arrive at port. The disciples were doing what Jesus had told them. They were made to do something that they really didn't want to do to begin with. And now here they were in a dire situation that even the most experienced among them were unable to handle. There you go. Hear me, friends it is not uncommon for the followers of Jesus Christ to be sent out into the streets, I mean, out to sea, when their master foresees a storm. I'll say it again. It is not uncommon for the followers of Jesus Christ to be sent out to sea when their master foresees a storm. It is not uncommon for the servants of Christ to feel set adrift, caught up in the chaos and violence of circumstances that are beyond anything they can control. But our God is God over the storm. Amen? It is not uncommon for For God to create situations that allow God to reveal the glory, wonder, majesty, and overwhelming nature of God's deep and abiding love. Amen? When we need to be redirected, corrected, or set on a new path, God may indeed whip up a storm. You can nod in agreement on that. Earlier, in, back in Matthew 8, they were on a boat just like this. Jesus was asleep at the front. But in this moment, they are alone. From their past experiences, they knew that if Christ were here, he need only speak to the wind and the waves and all would be calm. They knew that if Jesus had gotten into the boat with them, that his voice would rise up over the crashing waves and wind. Peace, be still. Because the voice that quiets the storm is the same voice that called the very cosmos into existence. They know that if Christ were with them, they would have nothing to fear. But in their eyes, Jesus had abandoned them. And so without the physical presence of Jesus, they fear they are lost. They think they are going to die, all because they listened to Jesus and they got into the boat. And so there they are. The rain, wind, and waves pushing them to their physical And emotional limitations and this binding fear, this immobilizing terror, goes on for hours. And so there we were. The flags, the bats, the wooden shields, the guns, the taste of tear gas on our steps driving us back indoors the full day of caring for the traumatized and bleeding people who came streaming to this church for treatment and counseling, pushing not only those of us who were here, but the countless medical volunteers and people of faith to our physical and emotional limitations. And this binding fear, this untenable and indefensible terror goes on for hours. You can say amen. I'm not playing. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus doing and why? Where is Jesus? Verse 25 And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. Hours later, it's now morning. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. Jesus said, I made this lake, I will walk on it if I want to. Thank you. Because Jesus Christ is the Lord of all creation and has sovereign dominion over all of creation, and everything that is, was, or will be must take its rightful place beneath the feet of our crucified Lord. Come on, church. Verses 26 and 27. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately again, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Tired, scared, abandoned and lost, feeling betrayed, hopeless and confused, Caught up in a moment of chaos, fear, uncertainty, and confusion, the disciples have forgotten what Jesus looks like. Through the violence of this storm, Christ is not easily recognizable. When things have gotten too far out of hand and the rain is pounding and the waves are high, where is Jesus? What is Jesus doing and why? When the sounds of the drums, the blades of the helicopters, and the shouts of anger, fear, and oppression inundate your senses, when people are crying, bleeding, and shaking, where is Jesus? What is Jesus doing and why? Good people, Christians, even the disciples, can exhibit perplexing and disquieting fears that arise from mistakes and misapprehensions in their knowledge and understanding of who Christ is. I'll say it again because that's a lot of big words. Good people, Christians, even the disciples can exhibit perplexing, and disquieting fears that arise from mistakes and misapprehensions in their knowledge and understanding of who Christ is. If you don't know who Jesus is, you don't know what Jesus can do. Psalm 9 reads, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The disciples don't see Jesus because they're not looking for Jesus. They can't tell Jesus from a water demon, an evil spirit, a ghost, who they think caused the storm. And I will confess that I, too, in moments of fear and confusion, have mislabeled Christ before. There will be people who talk about what happened yesterday in a way that demonstrates that they, like the disciples, don't yet, don't yet understand who Jesus is. They will speak of yesterday's horrors in a way that mislabels who Jesus is, where Jesus was, and what Jesus was doing. But hear me now, church. Hear me, as we see in the text on the water, and as I can witness to yesterday, our God is not only a God over the storm, but a God in the storm. And this is clarified by how Jesus reacts to the disciples' undue concern. Look again, not at what was said exactly, but first at what was not said Jesus doesn't come up. He doesn't really identify himself as Jesus. There's no, hey, it's me, Jesus. Be cool. He simply says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Fear not. John chapter 10 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. It is I. Exodus chapter 3, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and I say to them that the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and then they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. When Jesus walks out across the water, walking on his lake, clearly demonstrating his command and sovereignty over all creation and revealing himself to the disciples simply by saying, It is I. That should have resonated with them in a pretty big way. But it doesn't. At least not yet. Verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, If it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. Command me to come to you. Peter, the rock of the church, hearing Jesus say, It is I, fear not, responds with both uncertainty and overwhelming courage. Again, take note here of what is not said. Peter does not say, Lord, if it is you, stop this storm. Peter does not say, Lord, if it is you, why did you do this to us? Peter does not say, Lord, if it is you, where the heck have you been? Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you. Never has the mission of the church been so clearly condensed into six words. Command me to come to you. That is the gospel. Amen? In this moment, at the peak of exhaustion from fear and keeping the boat afloat all night. Because remember, Simon Peter was a fisherman and the de facto leader of the group, so he would have been at the helm all night. And after countless hours of simply avoiding death in this storm, Peter begins to understand who Jesus is. And an affirmation of Peter's understanding God speaks, come. At this point, it's not about what isn't said, but it's about what doesn't need to be said. But I'm going to say it anyways, just so we're all on the same page. Oh, I'm going to drink it with the top on. Jesus said, come, come. Come to me on the water. Come to me where the waves are high and the water is deep and cold. Come to me in the wind and the rain. Come stand where I stand. Come do what I do. Come walk where I walk and stand with me in the middle of this storm. Yesterday Jesus said, come, come to me in the streets, come to me where the gas stings your lungs, come to me where people are bleeding, come to me where the voices of white supremacy, Nazism and hate fill the air, come to me where they carry torches. Come to me where your children are lining the streets with bats, shields and guns. Come to me where cars plow through crowds of pedestrians. Come stand where I stand. Come do what I do. Come walk where I walk and stand with me in the middle of this storm, because wherever two or more are gathered, I will be there, and today of all days in this city, I need to be everywhere. Jesus said, come. Verse 29. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. No one loved Jesus more than Peter. No one. So upon recognizing who and where Jesus was, Peter knew where he had to be, what he had to do, and where he had to go. When your heart, your mind, and your body truly long for the presence, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ, you will go to Him. That's how it is for all people of faith. A pulling on our hearts to step out of the boat and submit fully to the power of And freedom of Jesus Christ. And when you get to where Jesus is, you hold on tight and you don't ever let go. See here, too, Peter's faith and resolution. Peter says, If you tell me to do it, I will do it. Such is the faith of all the saints. The people who ask for God's ultimate will to be done and then actually go out and do it. People who in their own way, like Peter, leave the safety of the ship and throw themselves into the jaws of death, people who choose to despise the threatening waves and demonstrate a strong dependence upon the power and word of Christ. What difficulty or danger could really stand before a faith and such zeal as this? I am blessed and humbled to be in the presence of many of these saints today. If you were at the church yesterday, stand up. Amen and amen. Thank you. Yesterday I saw each and every one of those people walk on water. Verses 30 and 31. When he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately for the third time reached out his hand and caught him saying, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter was still frightened. Please hear me, friends. Those who can say, Lord, I believe, must also say, Lord, help my unbelief. Because nothing but perfect love will be able to cast out fear. Take special note here of how this plays out, though. What caused Peter to sink? What? Doubt? Doubt. Fear? Yeah, fear and doubt. He noticed the strong wind and he became frightened. Verse 30. He was frightened. He was afraid. Fear. The most repeated command in the Bible is to fear not. Do not be afraid. Faith in Jesus Christ would have kept Peter above the water. But fear caused him to sink. Remember, we are saved through faith. We are kept above the water through faith. We are delivered by faith alone. The sinking of our city, our community, sometimes the sinking of our church, the decline of our community and the general state of disarray within our country and the rest of the world is all caused by fear. And if we give in to that fear, we too, like Peter, shall sink. We will sink. Can you see people sinking? Do you know people that are sinking? Can you see our city sinking? Our church? Our country? Remember, Jesus had told them, It is I. Do not be afraid. That is a command. As I said, I watched our church volunteers yesterday, the many medical volunteers and the people of faith who made God's house a triage center for the physical and emotional pain of our city. I saw them walk on the water. And as I'm sure each of these saints will verify at the end of the day, every foot was dry. Finally, verses 32 and 33. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, truly, you are the Son of God. My friends, who is Jesus? It's pretty clear on that one. I will not give you the answers next time. Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord of all creation. Jesus is God over the storm and God in the storm. Jesus is sovereign over all creation, giving authority to all who put their faith in him, calling them to walk where he walks, to stand where he stands, and to do what he does. Jesus sends us out on our own, into the storms, so that we may better understand who he is. Jesus comes to us when we are in need, pulling us upward when we fall victim to fear. Jesus waits for our response, standing just across the water, waiting for each of us to step out of the boat and join him in the chaos, savagery, and fury of this storm. Because that is where he is. That is where he has been. And that is where he will continue to be. Now, having said all that, I need to also say this. And then we'll be done. Not everyone can be like Peter. Peter. We must all, in some way, step out in faith to meet Jesus in our own way. But if all of the disciples had stepped out of the boat, it would have floated away and they'd all be treading water. (laughs) So let me be clear. (laughs) Take note here of the relationship between Peter and the rest of the disciples. They recognize that Peter's faith is to be emulated, but they too had a role to play and will eventually step out in faith when the time is right. And although some in the boat may have thought he was stupid, crazy, dumb, foolish, suicidal, or whatever, to have stepped out of the boat, it was only through Peter's faith and demonstration of that faith that they too learned who Jesus was. It is my hope that in the coming days weeks and months as we review and discuss the egregious amount of sin that permeated our streets that we can recognize in each other the different stages of each other's faith development. That we can build up and encourage one another in our spiritual gifts and callings because this battle is far from over and we need people on the water and we need people in the boat. Amen. Hear me. Yesterday was not a day for everybody to be at church. Did you hear me say that? Yesterday was not a day for... For everyone to be at church. If you stayed home and prayed, good. Well done. Your prayers were felt and very much needed. We can't all get out of the boat at the same time. We are not all made for that kind of work. But we are all made to do some kind of work. And prayer is the highest level of work as demonstrated by Jesus Christ. Where did Jesus go? See, I didn't have to give you that when You knew it. Prayer can take on many forms. And the people who were here yesterday exemplified that prayerfully discerning their tasks and positions, each of them responding to the Spirit in their own way, with each of them in a constant posture of prayer while simultaneously walking across the water to Jesus on their own sea. But if you stayed at home, and this is going to be harsh, just be ready, buckle up. If you stayed at home, and you brooded about feeding the fire. If you were trying to make a case about how all of this was caused by statues, city councilors, counter-protesters, the First Amendment, or anything other than the underlying sins of fear and racism, And if you strongly believe that the church, this church, God's house, should have been closed up, then we need a chat. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. What happened here yesterday was nothing short of miraculous. And the courage and faith of the saints of God is not something that I will ever make excuses for or apologize for. Remember, there were Nazis in our town yesterday. They are still here today. Multiple people died while defending our city from their hatred. So let me be very clear. What we saw yesterday was the full and unbridled result of racism and the complacency of a people who have been ignoring its growth hiding behind political terms that are used to justify its continual existence. And I can say now with extraordinary certainty that God has brought me to this church at this time to work with like-minded servants to once and for all eradicate this infection of our souls. In the face of such overwhelming evil and hatred, there can be no middle ground. In the presence of such an inordinate amount of sin, anger, and fear, there is but one recourse. And just to clarify, there is no both sides to yesterday. There were only those who came to destroy, intimidate, and kill. As I said, there's only there was and is only one path forward, and that path is one of overwhelming love. And yesterday, that love took the form of flipping over tables to literally barricade our building in, protecting those who sought sanctuary inside. And I am thankful for the many nameless groups of men and women with masks and broom handles who found refuge in our parking lot, serving multiple times as a barrier for us against trucks, guns, and all kinds of evil. Although the Spirit manifested itself in them differently than it did me, we were all united yesterday in an overwhelming and inexplicable love. And as horrifying and scary as everything was yesterday, the thing that will ultimately stay with me for the rest of my life are the memories of so many, so very many good people. So very many. Good people coming together in love to ensure that the safety, security, physical and mental well-being of the most vulnerable and the most courageous among us was protected and honored. God is good. And on that day, the day when Nazis and white supremacists came to our town with their guns, cars, bats, and pepper spray, the work of God's people was also good because so many people asked for God's ultimate will to be done and then actually went out and did it. Hundreds of people in their own way, like Peter, left the safety of the ship "...and threw themselves into the jaws of death. They chose to despise the threatening waves and demonstrated a strong dependence upon the power and word of Christ. And I am blessed and humbled to have served alongside so many amazing people who were literally responsible for the lives and well-being of countless victims." And though we may now think ourselves safe, we are not. And neither are the most vulnerable places of our city, even tonight, do not be out after dark. In the days and weeks to come, this virus will continue to consume not only Charlottesville, but other places as well. And if the events of yesterday really surprised you, you haven't been paying attention you haven't been looking for Jesus. It is my hope and prayer that as we regroup from this storm, that we keep our eyes open with the full knowledge that Jesus is God over the storm. God in the storm. That Jesus is sovereign over all creation giving authority to those who put their faith in him, calling them to walk where he walks, to stand where he stands, and to do what he does. Amen. I'm going to sing another song.